Greetings, friends and brethren. This is Dr. Bob Teal for the Continuing Church of God. I want to talk about old and new leaven. Now, Christians are supposed to get past both old and uh, new leaven. I want to start out by going to 1 Corinthians chapter 5, uh, reading verses 7 and 8 from the Apostle Paul. He wrote, and this is from the New King James Version of the Bible, Therefore, purge out the old leaven, that you may be a new lump, since you are truly unleavened. For indeed, Christ, our Passover, was sacrificed for us. Therefore, let us keep the feast, not with old leaven, nor with the leaven of malice and wickedness, but with the unleavened bread of sincerity and truth. Now, as Christians, these days have meaning for us. We're supposed to purge out the old leaven and to be unleavened. By being unleavened, Paul seems to be pointing to Jesus' words about being free of hypocrisy and lawlessness uh, that he mentioned related to the Pharisees back in the uh, book of Matthew and uh, Luke. Be free of sin, if you will, like 1 John 3, 4. Now I'd like to go back to the book of Leviticus, Leviticus 23, because we learn a few things about the days of leavened bread, and we actually find out how many of them there are. Now, as you're going back there, one thing I guess I do want to do is I do want to point out that we have a free book called Should You Keep God's Holy Days or Demonic Holidays? This particular uh, book goes into what the Bible, both the Old and New Testament, say about the biblical holy days and why uh, true Christians should be keeping them and, by the way, the fact that early Christians did keep these particular days, days that we in the Continuing Church of God keep right now as well. Anyway, going back to Leviticus, Leviticus chapter 23, starting verse 6. On the 15th day of the same month is the Feast of Unleavened Bread to the Lord. Seven days you must eat unleavened bread. On the first day you shall have a holy convocation. You shall do no customary work on it, so it's kept like a Sabbath. But you shall offer an offering made by fire to the Lord for seven days. The seventh day shall be a holy convocation. You shall do no customary work on it. Now, the month being referred to here is the month of uh, Abib. You can see that in uh, Exodus 13, verse 4, as well as uh, compare that to Exodus 12, 2. It's also in the book of Esther, chapter 3, verse 7, called Nisan. Now, notice what we see in Leviticus 23, that there are seven days of leavened bread. Seven is the number of completion in Scripture. God completed His creation, and He rested on the seventh day, as we see in uh, Genesis chapter 2, 1 through 3. There are also seven churches in Revelation 1 through 3, and these seven represent the Christian church throughout the church age. Anyway, part of the symbolism of seven days of unleavened bread is that spiritual leaven is supposed to be completely put out of our lives. Now I want to go to the book of Exodus, Exodus chapter 12. I want to go over some scriptures uh, that are related to the Exodus. And I'm going to start in verse 37. The children of Israel left Egypt at night on the 15th of Abib or Nisan the way the Hebrews uh, named them. And by the way, we have the names of the uh, uh, months, biblical names, uh, in, in here, or the days that the Jews use. 
names that the Jews use. And by the way, this book and any other one uh, may hold up. It's available free at the ccog.org website. That's www.ccog.org. Go under the literature tab under books and booklets and you can find this in our other literature. Anyway, Exodus uh, 12, starting verse 37. Then the children of Israel journeyed from Ramesses to Sukkoth, about 600,000 men on foot besides children. A mixed multitude went up with them also, and flocks and herds, a great deal of livestock. And he baked unleavened cakes of dough, which they had brought out of Egypt, for it was not leavened, because they were driven out of Egypt, it could not wait, nor had they prepared provisions for themselves. Now the sojourn of the children of Israel who lived in Egypt was 430 years. It came to pass at the end of 430 years, on the very same day, came to pass that all the armies of the Lord went out from the land of Egypt. It's a night of solemn observance to the Lord for bringing them out of the land of Egypt. That's the night of the Lord, a solemn observance for all the children of Israel throughout their generations. Now, since the children of Israel were inside from sunset on the 14th of Abib to the morning of the 14th, they didn't leave Egypt proper until the 15th. The night to be observed is the first of the days of unleavened bread. So it was after Passover that the children of Israel put Egypt, in a sense, behind them. Now, apparently, on the 18th of Nisan Abib, despite the ten plagues and losing the firstborn on Passover several days before, Pharaoh decided he didn't like the idea of losing his slaves, so he thought he'd pursue them. So let's go to Exodus 14. Exodus 14, starting verse 1. Now the Lord spoke to Moses, saying, Speak to the children of Israel, that they turn and camp before Pihahiroth, between Migdal on the sea, opposite Baal Zaphon, and you shall camp before it by the sea. For Pharaoh will say of the children of Israel, They're bewildered by the land. The wilderness has closed them in. Then I will harden Pharaoh's heart, so he will pursue them. And I will gain honor over Pharaoh and all his army, and all the Egyptians may know that I am the Lord, the Eternal, the Yahweh. And they did so. Now it was told the king of Egypt that the people had fled, and the heart of Pharaoh and his servants was turned against the people, and they said, Why have we done this? Why have we let the children of Israel go from serving us? They forgot the ten last plagues. Ten plagues, including death of the firstborn. I mean, it wasn't that long before. So he made ready his chariot and took his people with him. And he took 600 choice chariots and all the chariots of Egypt with captains over every one of them. And the Lord hardened the heart of uh, Pharaoh, king of Egypt, and he pursued the children of Israel, and the children of Israel went out with boldness. Now on the 20th of Nisan, Abib, Pharaoh's armor, armies got closer to the children of Israel. Now we'll go to verse 9. So the Egyptians pursued them. All the horses and chariots of Pharaoh, his horsemen, and his army overtook them, camping by the sea besides Pi-Haroth before Baal-Zephon. And when Pharaoh drew near, the children of Israel lifted their eyes, and behold, the Egyptians marched after them. So they believed God. No, they were very afraid in the children Israel cried out to the Lord, at least they recognized God was there. Verse 11, And then they said to Moses, Because there are no graves in Egypt, have you taken us away to die in the wilderness? 
didn't seem like they had much faith in God, even though they cried out to God. Why have you dealt with so with us? To bring us out of Egypt. Is it not what words we told you in Egypt, saying, Let us alone, and we may serve the Egyptians? For it would be better for us to serve the Egyptians than we should die in the wilderness. So the Israelites saw a major problem. But despite all that God had done for them prior to this, they obviously didn't seem to trust God for the solution. Now back to verse 14, 13 now of Exodus 14. And Moses said to the people, Do not be afraid. Kind of reminds me of what uh, we've been saying for the past year or so about COVID. It's, we didn't say that nobody would die from it, but you shouldn't live your lives in fear because of it. Anyway, go down, or continuing here. Moses said, Stand still and see the salvation of the Lord, which he will accomplish for you today. For the Egyptians whom you see today, you shall see again no more forever. The Lord will fight for you, and you shall hold your peace. Now, I'd like to read something that the old Worldwide Church of God taught about this. This is from an article from Herbert Armstrong, March 1979, The Good News. Our strength is not sufficient. Notice the message God sent to them through Moses. Fear you not. Stand still. See the salvation of the eternal. For the Egyptians, you shall see them no more. The eternal shall fight for you. How wonderful. Helpless, we're told to stand still and see the salvation of the Lord. He shall fight for us. We cannot conquer Satan, but he can. It's the risen Christ, our high priest, who will cleanse us, sanctify us, deliver us, who said he'd never leave or forsake us. We cannot keep commandments in our own power and strength, but Christ in us can keep them. We must rely on him in faith. Now, one of the reasons that we face seemingly, at least from a human perspective, insurmountable problems is for us to learn that our own strength is not sufficient. And for more on dealing with uh, basically insurmountable problems, uh, we've got a book. We've got two, actually, I'm going to hold up. One is Prayer, What's the Bible Teach? The other is Faith for Those God Has Called and Chosen. Again, available at the ccg.org website. Anyway, getting back to the children of Israel, their only solution uh, was... Uh, to surrender or, or God's intervention. Now, for Christians, the only solution often is to fully submit to God. You can see that, for example, in James 4, 7. It's also consistent with Proverbs uh, 3, 5 through 8. Now, let's go back to Exodus 14. Pick it up in verse 15. And the Lord said to Moses, Why do you cry to me? Tell the children of Israel to go forward. But lift up your rod and stretch out your hand over the sea and divide it. And the children of Israel shall go on dry ground through the midst of the sea. Indeed, I will harden the hearts of the Egyptians, and they shall follow them. So I will gain honor over Pharaoh and over all his army, his chariots and his horsemen. Then the Egyptians shall know that I am the eternal, I am the Lord, when I have gained honor for myself over Pharaoh, his chariots, and his horsemen. Now let's see what happened next. Verse 19. And the angel of God went before the camp of Israel, moved, and went behind them. And he put a pillar of cloud before them, and he stood behind them. So that kind of slowed down the Egyptians. Now, the old worldwide church of God, uh, the same article, has the following. Now notice verse 19. 
The angel who had gone before showing the Israelites the way now went behind them, getting between them and the enemy, protecting them. And then God parted the water of the Red Sea, and the waters were a wall unto them to the right hand and on their left, verse 23. In Isaiah 55, 1, in John 7, 37 to 39, the waters are a symbol of the Holy Spirit. The living waters of God are a wall to us on our right hand and on our left, guiding us to the true path, making the path, protecting us in it. But when Pharaoh and his army attempted to follow Israel in this divinely created path, these same waters completely covered them. As the Holy Spirit removes and covers our sins, the Israelites saw them no more. What a wonderful picture. Now let's go back to Exodus 14, pick it up in verse 20. So it came between the camp of the Egyptians and the camp of, the, of Israel. Thus it was a cloud and darkness to the one, and it gave light by night to the other, so that one did not come near the other all that night. Verse 21, Then Moses stretched out his hand over the sea, and the Lord caused the sea to go back by a strong east wind all that night. The sea made the sea to dry land, and the waters were divided. So the children of Israel went into the midst of the sea on dry ground, and the waters were walled to them on their right hand and their left. Now there's different theories about where this crossing took place, but let me state, first of all, it was a uh, miracle of God. It wasn't some random wind. And also, I want to mention that the water flows and seas in that part of the world are not the same as they were like 3,500 years ago. So be cautious when you hear experts speculate about where it may or not have been. As far as I can determine, the crossing was at least a mile long, but less than 12 miles. But we don't have precise measurements. It started at night, and the Egyptians uh, had trouble in the morning. So it would suggest that the children of Israel had no more than 4 to 11 hours to cross it. And you know, when you've got all these many people, probably 2 or 3 million people, you know, they all aren't walking this way, and they're all not just one on one straight line. We don't know how wide this was, but you need to have enough time for them to get through. Also, I'll mention that the Exodus was in the 15th century BC, BCE, not in the 13th century, BC, BCE, like uh, a lot of fraudulent uh, ones have claimed. Anyway, going back to Exodus 14, verse 23, we see it's in the early daylight hours of the 21st of the month of Abib, which is the last or the seventh day of the unleavened bread. Verse 23, And the Egyptians pursued them and went after them into the midst of the sea, all of Pharaoh's horses, his chariots, and his horsemen. The Egyptians did not trust God, but their own sight. And they foolishly pursued, thinking that it would be safe for them to do so. And it wasn't. A lot of times people think doing uh, things are safe when they're not. A lot of sinful behavior. Anyway, going to verse 24, Exodus 14. Now it came to pass in the morning watch that the Lord looked down upon the army of the Egyptians through the pillar of fire and cloud, and he troubled the army of the Egyptians. And he took off their chariot wheels, so they drove them with difficulty. And the Egyptians said, Let's flee from the face of Israel, for the Lord fights with them against the Egyptians. They figured out God was intervening. 
<laughs> You'd think the children of Israel would have figured this out earlier, way earlier. But uh, finally, <laughs> the Egyptians, wait, we had these ten plagues? This, we thought we had these people boxed in. Cloud gets between us, we can't see through it. Now suddenly we see this big opening. We go in it. We've never seen an opening like that in the sea before. But we did it anyway, which was dumb of us. And now we're getting stuck. This has got to be from their God. And of course it was. Maybe verse 26. Then the Lord said to Moses, Stretch out your hand over the sea. So this is before. Before the water's coming back in already. They're already having problems. God had their chariot wheels fall off or get stuck or some combination thereof. And they're starting to realize, uh-oh. Anyway, the waters may come back on the Egyptians on their chariots and their horsemen. And their horsemen. And Moses stretched out his hand over the sea. And when the morning appeared, the sea returned to its full depth while the Egyptians were fleeing into it. And so the Lord overthrew the Egyptians in the midst of the sea. Then the waters returned and covered the chariots, the horsemen, and all the army of Pharaoh that came in the sea after them. Not so much as one of them remained. But the children of Israel had walked on dry land in the midst of the sea. And the waters were walled to them in their right hand and on their left. So the Lord saved Israel that day out of the hand of the Egyptians. And Israel saw the Egyptians dead on the seashore. Thus Israel saw the great work which the Lord had done in Egypt. So the people feared the Lord and believed the Lord and his servant Moses. The Hebrews crossed the Red Sea on the last day of unleavened bread, and the, on that day the army of Egypt, which perhaps the most powerful army in the world at the time, was destroyed. The seventh and last day of unleavened bread pictures fully leaving dead works behind, the dead works of sin. Now, as far as tying this in with Christianity, I want you to go to the book of Jude. I've only got one chapter. I want to read verse 4, Jude verse 4. For certain men crept in unnoticed who long away, long ago were marked out for this condemnation. Ungodly men who turn the grace of our God into licentiousness and deny the only Lord God and our Lord Jesus Christ. Now, one of the reasons this is interesting is because in the next verse, Jude ties this problem in with the deliverance from Egypt. During the days of love and bread, which is an annual, which should be kept as an annual reminder of sin and deliverance. Verse five from Jude. But I want to remind you, though you once knew this, that the Lord, having saved the people out of the land of Egypt, afterward destroyed those who did not believe. In like manner, just because, as it says in Romans three twenty five, you don't have to go there. Sacrifice of Jesus, quote, God had passed over the sins that were previously committed. He may afterwards destroy those who did not believe. And that would be uh, the, uh, those who commit the unpardonable sin with the second death. Now I want to go some information about some of this from the old Radio Church of God. This is from uh, the 1965 Lesson 34 of uh, the old Ambassador College uh, Bible Correspondence Course. More than three million Israelites crossed the Red Sea dry shod. Did God Almighty get the people safely across the Red Sea before daylight? Yes, so we read that. Then in the daylight part of Wednesday, the seventh and last day of unleavened bread, was a time of great rejoicing. Since the seventh day of unleavened bread was an annual Sabbath, 
There was a Sabbath meeting uh, in which newly composed hymns were sung. So you can see that, for example, Exodus 15. Now I want to read something else that uh, was taught in the Lesson 26, the 1984 version of the Bible Correspondence Course from the Radio Church of God. When the Egyptians attempted to follow, they were all drowned in the sea. God had a great victory in delivering his people from slavery. That deliverance apparently took place during the last of Seventh-day Eleven Bread. Tradition has it that the miraculous opening of the Red Sea and the completion of the Israelites' escape from slavery took place before dawn, the seventh and last day of the uh, first feast of unleavened bread. And so I will comment here that, first of all, this may not be the first feast of unleavened bread. We'll get to that in a few moments. But the other comment that I wanted to make was that I don't think it's just tradition. I think you, you can tie it all together with the numbers and it goes in there. Now I'd like to read something from a Jewish source. This is from the Temple Institute. Exodus, the seventh day after leaving Egypt, the children of Israel lifted up their eyes, and behold, the Egyptians were advancing after them. They were very frightened, and they cried out to Hashem, which means God. All of a sudden, following, following orders is no longer an option. Egyptians were closing in. As far as Israel is concerned, this wasn't part of the plan. Something had to be done. This is a new reality for Israel. They scrambled to try to use their brain to figure out what to do. People cried out to God, but then they quickly turned to Moses. Is this because there's no graves in Egypt? You're taking us to die in the desert. First glance, this seemed to be a feeble attempt at gallows humor, a cynical rebuke of Moses. But on second thought, it was a logical, disciple question. Would the God that wrought miracles in Egypt on our behalf and humbled the greatest power on earth do it all for no reason? There must be some way out of here. Now Israel is looking to Moses for instruction. It's a new reality for Moses. Until now, he's been confronting Pharaoh, a most powerful despot, to be sure, but a man who, by his own admission, doesn't know or recognize Hashem or God, the God of Israel, putting Moses in a distinct advantage. But now Moses must confront his own people, who he loves, who, like him, supposedly know and trust the God of Israel. Moses seeks to console the people. Don't be afraid. Stand firm. See God's salvation. He'll reap for you today. For the way you've seen the Egyptians is only today. But you shall no longer continue to see them for eternity. Hashem, God, will fight for you. But you will remain silent. What Moses says is true. But God reproaches him. Why do you cry out to me? Speak to the children of Israel. Let him travel. They turn to Moses. Moses turns to God. God turns right back to Moses. They need to move forward. They need to trust and then believe in me. And people, of course, need to trust God more than themselves. Like most people, the children of Israel were walking by faith. We're not walking by faith, but we're walking by sight. Which is the opposite of the Apostle Paul says God's people are supposed to do in 2 Corinthians 5-7 because we are supposed to walk by faith, not by sight. The children of Israel were walking by sight. And we all tend to walk by sight more than we should. Anyway, back to the Temple Institute, they wrote, It was the seventh day after leaving Egypt forever. Israel found itself in an impossible situation. The impassable sea before them. The world's largest, most powerful army closing behind them. That might seem like a familiar situation to us today, nothing unusual. But this was very new to Israel at the time. A nation of seven days, a babe in the woods. 
God would immortalize these words, Go, call out in the ears of Jerusalem, saying, So said Hashem, I will remember you, the loving kindness of your youth, the love of your nuptials, and following me in the desert, in the land not your, not your own. Uh, that's uh, Jeremiah 2, 2, they've quoted, or their version of it. God already understood the infant nation of Israel had what they hadn't began to realize. They need to have great trust and faith in God. Let them travel, God told Moses. By the way, they spell it M-O-S-H-E, so Moshe. But I usually just say Moses. Let them be free. Let them be independent. A joyful seventh-day Passover to all. Now, even though the Jews call it the seventh-day of Passover, the Bible calls it the seventh-day of unleavened bread. Uh, let's go and verify that again, this time through Exodus chapter 12, starting verse 15. Exodus 12, verse 15. Seven days shall you eat unleavened bread. On the first day you shall remove leaven from your houses. Whoever eats leavened bread from the first day until the seventh day, the person shall be cut off from Israel. On the first day there shall be a holy convocation. On the seventh day there will be a holy convocation for you. So the first day and last day of unleavened bread are kept um, as a, like a Sabbath. No manner of work shall be done on them, but what everyone must eat. That you only may be prepared by you, you shall observe the Feast of Unleavened Bread. So, anyway, uh, both Jewish sources, some Church of God sources, and uh, continuing Church of God sources, we believe that the children of Israel left Egypt uh, uh, first day of Unleavened Bread, but they passed through the uh, Red Sea on the last day of unleavened bread and uh, basically Egypt was because the destruction of the Egyptian army was put behind them uh, on the seventh day of unleavened bread. Um, I want to read something else. This is from the Good News March 1979 article again. I was at before. It says, Egypt is a type of sin and God's people, Israel, today are in Babylon. He's talking about God's spiritual people, which hopefully includes you, and are soon to be delivered after God pours out his plagues upon Babylon. And we have a series of sermons, by the way, about the plagues of Egypt and them returning in the last days based on prophecies in the New Testament. I'm not going to go into that now, but you can go to the, should be able to go to the same channel this particular message is on to find those. And as Rome has changed times and seasons and days, professing Christians have been deceived and lost sight of the true time in God's days. That's one of the reasons I held up this booklet. As well as the true worship of God. So it was with the children of Israel in Egypt. For years they'd been in severe bondage in Egypt, forced to work with taskmasters over them. There was no Bible, no written word of God. They weren't permitted to worship God as he ordained. They were forced to work seven days a week. They lost sight of the true Sabbath, which is God, why God revealed the Sabbath to them in the wilderness of, of sin, according to Exodus 16. Just as Rome has changed times and seasons, so had Egypt. Then it says, Passover is only the start. And so, on delivering his people from Egypt, sin, God straightened them out as to time. And as the beginning of our salvation was wrought by Christ's death, so God said, this month, the spring, shall be the beginning of months, Exodus 12, 2. And so we keep God's holy days on God's calendar, and we keep them for 
the days of living bread for seven days, as it says in Leviticus, as well as Exodus. By doing this, we picture our acceptance of God's instructions for his holy days, as well as it pictures the intent of leaving spiritual Egypt. Uh, anyway, so now what? Going back to Exodus, the Egyptian army is dead, and the days of the bread end at sunset that evening. So now what? Now let's go to Exodus 16. didn't uh, take the children of Israel long to want the Egypt, spiritually the old leaven, back. Exodus 16.1 And they journeyed from Elam, and all the congregation of Israel came to the wilderness of Sin, which is between Elam and Sinai, in the fifteenth day of the second month after they departed from the land of Egypt. Then the whole congregation, the children of Israel, complained against Moses and Aaron in the wilderness. The children of Israel said to them, Oh, that we had died by the hand of the Lord in the land of Egypt. When we sat by pots of meat and where we ate bread to the full, you brought us to this wilderness to kill us, this whole assembly, with hunger. Now they'd seen the miracles. And they'd seen what happened to Passover. And you saw the drowning of the soldiers on the last day of unleavened bread. But they longed for the physical slavery of Egypt. They longed for the old leaven. Now when faced with new challenges and tests, which you could call new leaven in a sense. They not only fell for it, but they wanted the old leaven too. By old leaven, by the way, I'm, excuse me, by new leaven, I'm not referring to the coming kingdom of God, which will, will spread, as Jesus said in Matthew 13, 3, like leaven, but by new problems and new situations that may tempt us to sin. Let me explain that again. By new leaven, I'm referring to new problems and new situations that may tempt us to sin. By the way, Jesus' comments about uh, the kingdom of God spreading like leaven should also serve to show us that physical leaven of itself is not bad. It's just a symbol and to be put out of our lives during the day of leavened bread. Now that being said, after their complaints, God provided the children of Israel meat, in this case quail, and began a daily miracle of providing them manna, as you can read in the rest of this chapter. But it didn't take too long before they had another issue, Let's go to chapter 17, verse 1. That all the children, all the congregation of children of Israel sat on the journey for the wilderness of sin according to the commandment of the Lord. They camped in Rephidim where there was no water for the people to drink. Therefore the people contended with Moses and said, Give us water that we may drink. Moses said to them, Why do you contend with me? Why do you tempt the Lord? The people thirsted for water. The people complained against Moses and said, Why is it you brought us out of Egypt to kill us and our children and our livestock with thirst? Children of Israel still didn't trust God. So, new problem, new leaven. They still wanted the old leaven too. Now, understand, they're wandering around getting leaven, not getting, getting leaven, getting manna six days a week and not on the Sabbath. You'd think, okay, there's a pattern of this, okay, this is a miracle from God. It's happening wherever they are. It's not happening for other peoples. But when they face another trial, they wanted the old leaven of Egypt again anyway. Anyway, we see that God, a couple verses down, provides water from a rock. Now later, they heard God thunder on Mount Sinai. We're going to go to Exodus 20. Starting in verse 2. This is where uh, uh, God gave Moses the Ten Commandments. 
One of which was, I am the Lord your God who brought you out of the land of Egypt, out of the house of bondage. You shall have no other gods before me. Now, later, uh, Moses goes back to uh, Mount Sinai, and he ends up being there longer than they thought he ought to be. Uh, we're going to pick this up in the 32nd chapter of Exodus. Exodus 32, starting verse 1. Now when the people saw that Moses delayed coming down from the mountain, the people gathered to, together to Aaron and said to him, Come, make us gods that shall go before us. For is this man, Moses, this man who brought us up out of the land of Egypt, we don't know what's happened to him. Aaron said to them, Break off the golden earrings which are in your ears of your wives and your sons your daughters and bring them to me. So all the children broke off the gold earrings which were in their ears and brought them to Aaron. And he received the gold from their hand. And he fashioned it with an engraving tool and he made a molded calf. Then he said, This is your God, O Israel, that brought you out of the land of Egypt. When Aaron saw it, he built an altar before it. Aaron made a proclamation, saying, Tomorrow's a feast to the Lord. And they rose up early the next day, offered burnt offerings, brought peace offerings. The people sat down to eat and drink and rose up to play. The Lord said to Moses, Get down for the people whom you brought out of the land of Egypt have corrupted themselves. So when faced with uh, New Leaven, in this case Moses not being around, they became unfaithful again. And they chose unfaithfulness and an idol uh, in place of the old leaven of Egypt. Anyway, let's go to Numbers. Numbers chapter uh, 11. Starting verse 4. They became ungrateful for the manna, and they complained. Numbers 11, verse 4. Now the mixed multitude who was among them yield to intense craving. Children of Israel also wept and said, Who will give us meat to eat? We remember the fish we ate freely in Egypt, and the cucumbers, and the melons, and the leeks, and the onions, and the garlic. But now our holes being, being as dried up. There is nothing except this manna before our eyes. Let's go down to verse 16. Lord said to Moses, Consecrate yourselves for tomorrow, for you shall eat meat. For you have wept in hearing the Lord saying, Who will give us meat to eat? For it was well with us in Egypt. Therefore the Lord will give you meat, and you shall eat. You shall eat not one or two days or five days, nor ten nor twenty days, but for a whole month, until it comes out of your nostrils and becomes loathsome to you, because you have despised the Lord who is among you, and have wept before him saying, Why did we ever come out of Egypt? So again, they wanted the old leaven. The new leaven is that they're getting tired of what they have. They're not being grateful for what they have. Do you eat every day? Hopefully you're grateful. Do you have water every day? Hopefully you're grateful. They said, nah, this isn't fancy enough. Anyway, God provided uh, more quail as well as a plague that killed some of the complainers. Now let's go down to uh, the uh, 13th chapter of, uh, of Numbers. I'm not going to read it, but in Numbers 13, 26 to 33, you hear reports of giants in, in the Promised Land. And this uh, was not something the children of Israel were happy to hear about. So let's pick this up now in verse 1 of chapter 14. 
So the congregation lifted up their voices and cried, and all the people wept that night. And all the children of Israel complained against Moses and Aaron. And the whole congregation said to them, If only we had died in the land of Egypt, or only if we had died in the wilderness. So, old, new leaven. Why has the Lord brought us in this land to fall by the sword that our wives and our children should become victims? Would it not be better for us to return to Egypt? Let's go back to the old leaven. So they said to one another, let's select a leader and go return to Egypt. So test trials, they were uh, miraculous interventions. They still wanted the old leaven. When they're faced with new leaven, they wanted that. and They, they accepted that sin or they sinned more instead of putting it out and acted faithfully. And they also wanted the old leaven again. They wanted to return. Now, God's not pleased. Let's go to verse 26 of Numbers 14. And by the way, I am going to be reading more scriptures from uh, uh, the New Testament, but I still have some others for the Old Testament I want to cover here. Numbers 14, 26. The Lord spoke to Moses and Aaron, saying, How long will I bear with this evil congregation who complained against me? I've heard the complaints that the children of Israel make against me. Say to them, As I live, says the Lord, just as you spoke in my hearing, so I'll do to you. The carcasses of you who've been complaining against me shall fall in the wilderness. Remember, they said, oh, I wish we'd have died in the wilderness. God said, okay, you, I'm going to let you die in the wilderness. All of you who are numbered, according to your entire number, from 20 years and up. So it seems like age 20 was considered to be an adult. Except for Caleb, the son of uh, Jephunneh, and Joshua, the son of Nun, you shall by no means enter the land which I swore that I would make you dwell in. But your little ones, whom you said would be victims, I'm going to bring them in, and they shall know the land which you have despised. But as for you, your carcasses shall fall in the wilderness, and your sons shall be shepherds of wilderness for forty years, bear the brunt of your infidelity until your carcasses are consumed in the wilderness. According to the number of days which you spied on the land, forty days, one day for each of you shall bear your guilt for one year. So interesting. Uh, 40 days, 40 years. So you think your sins are kind of minor. God says, you're in, because of 40 days, you get 40 years of punishment. Think about that. And you shall know my rejection. Verse 35, I, the Lord, have spoken this. I will surely do all this evil, to this evil congregation who are gathered against me in this. In this wilderness, you shall be, they shall be consumed. There they shall die. Now, the men whom Moses sent to spy out the land, who returned and made all the congregation complain by bringing a bad report of the land, those very men who brought the evil report about the land died by the plague before the Lord. But Joshua, son of Nun, and Caleb, the son of uh, Jephunneh, remained alive of the people who went to spy out the land. You might say, well, that was just them. But what if there was a book written about you? One which showed how often God intervened for you, yet you kept complaining. Were you longing for the old... Levin, will God get upset enough with you to consider cutting you off? Anyway, we're going to go now to Numbers chapter 20. Despite all the different things that happened, when they're low, low on water again, the children of Israel wanted the old leaven. Numbers two, starting verse Numbers 20, starting verse 2. Now there was no water for the congregation, so they gathered together against Moses and Aaron. And the people contended with Moses and spoke and say, If only we died with our brother before the Lord. Why have you brought us to the assembly of the Lord into this wilderness that we and our animals should die here? They said the same thing 
previous too. And why have you made us come up out of Egypt to bring us to this evil place? It's not a place of grain or figs or vines or pomegranates, nor is there any water to drink. Now once again, God provided uh, water via Moses. Now Moses let this trial, this new leaven, bring forth his anger, by the way. Moses wasn't perfect. And God decreed punishment for him. You can see this in uh, Numbers 20, verse 12. So don't think you can't be punished by God because you're a Christian. Moses was God's guy. Anyway, as far as the children of Israel go, let's go to the next chapter, chapter 21. We'll pick this up in verse 4. They journeyed from Mount Or, by the way of Red Sea, to go around the land of Edom. And the soul of people became very discouraged on the way. And sometimes you may be discouraged on the long path that's before you or the, or the path you've been on. And the Lord spoke against God and Moses. And the people, I'm sorry. The people spoke against God and Moses. Why have you brought us out of Egypt to die in the wilderness? For there's no food and no water and our soul loathes this worthless bread. This is the manna they were given. So God sent fiery serpents among the people. And they bit the people, and many of the people died. Repeatedly, when facing trials, new, the children of Israel chose the unfaithfulness of the new leaven, while also wanting to go back to the old leaven. Now, it's not just the children of Israel who looked back. In Luke 17, 32, Jesus said to, quote, Remembers, Remember Lot's wife. So that's in the book of Genesis. So I want you to go to the book of Genesis. We're going to go over what happened there for several different reasons. So uh, Genesis uh, uh, 19, starting verse 1. Now two angels came to Sodom in the evening, and Lot was sitting in the gate of Sodom. When Lot saw them, he rose to meet them. He bowed himself with his face toward the ground. And he said, Now, my lords, please turn to your servant's house and spend the night and wash your feet, that you may raise, rise up early and go your way. He said, Oh no, we'll spend the night in the open square. But he insisted strongly. So they turned into him and entered his house. Then he made them a feast and baked unleavened bread, and they ate. Now before they lay down, the men of the city, the men of Sodom, both uh, old and young, and all the people of every quarter surrounded the house, and they called the lot and said, Where are the men who came out to you tonight? Bring them out to us that we may know them carnally. Uh, uh, Lot went to the doorway, shut the door behind him, said, please don't act this will so, uh, so, so wickedly. Uh, he foolishly offered his daughters. Now verse 9, the men of Sodom said, uh, uh, stand, uh, stand back, and they said, this one came to stay here and he keeps acting like a judge. Now we're going to deal with you worse than them. So they didn't like the fact that uh, Lot didn't want their his guests to get sodomized. This is from Sodom, and they said, "You know, Lot, you know, you're you're no you're not really the king. Can't tell us anything." They pressed hard against the man Lot and came near to break down the door, but the men reached out their hands, this is the angels, and pulled the men to the Lot in the house with them. They shut the door, and they struck the men who were at the doorway with blindness, small and great. And he became weary from trying to find the door. The men said to Lot, Anyone else here? Son-in-law, sons, daughters, whatever you've got, take them out of this place. We're going to destroy this place because the outcry against them has grown great before the face of the Lord. The Lord has sent us to destroy it. 
So Lot went out and he spoke to his son-in-laws who had married his daughters and said, Get out of this place. The Lord's going to destroy the city. But his son-in-laws thought he was just joking. Verse 15, When morning dawned, the angels urged Lot to hurry, saying, Arise, take your wife, your two daughters who are here, lest you be consumed in the punishment of the city. And while he lingered, they took hold of his hand, his wife's hand, and the hands of his two daughters. The Lord, being merciful to them, brought them out, set them outside the city. So they lingered. They delayed. God had them come out anyway. But you know, if it's when it's time for Christians to flee, God is not going to physically hold your hand. And He may let you linger. You know, most end-time Christians are not going to be protected from the Great Tribulation. And in the uh, case of Sodom, Lot's son-in-laws weren't protected either. Anyway, verse 17. So it came to pass when they had brought them outside that he said, Escape for your life. Do not look behind you nor stay anywhere in the plain. Escape the mountains lest you be destroyed. Then Lot said to them, Please know, my lords, indeed, now your servant, if your servant has found favor in your sight and you've increased your mercy, you've shown me by saving my life, but I can't escape the mountains lest some evil overtake me and I die. There's another city near enough to flee. It's a little place. Please let me escape to it. Isn't it little? My soul shall live. And they said, Okay. So I favored you according to this thing only. I will not overthrow this city you've spoken. Hurry, escape there, if I can't do anything until you arrive there. And the name of that city was called Zoar. The sun had risen upon the earth, then Lot entered Zoar. The Lord rained down brimstone and fire on Sodom and Gomorrah from the Lord out of the heavens. He overthrew those cities, all the plain, all the inhabitants of the cities, and what grew on the ground. But, but what? But his wife, Lot's wife, looked back and became a pillar of salt. And Jesus said to remember that in the New Testament. Anyway, verse 27. Abraham went early in the morning to the place where he had stood before the Lord. He looked toward Sodom and Gomorrah, toward all the land of the plain. He saw, behold, the smoke of the land went up like smoke of the furnace. It came to pass when God destroyed the cities of the plain that God remembered Abraham and sent Lot out of the midst of the overthrow, and he overthrew the cities in which, the Lord, in which Lot had dwelt. So we read, this, see this, and we find that Lot's wife wanted the old leaven. Now Sodom was fancy for its day, and it was, a, but it was also a significant place of sin. Now perhaps it should be mentioned that some believe this took place during the days of leavened bread, and it's in Genesis 19:3 that the, we see the first use of the Hebrew word for leavened bread used in the Bible. And since the angels said they were going to spend the night out in the open square, this points to this not happening in the dead of the winter. Furthermore, because of the rushed instructions God gave his wife uh, Sarah, or Sarai, regarding making cakes on a hearth for those same angels in Genesis 18:2-6, this also supports the view this could have happened during the days of leavened bread. Now, after I wrote this, I went back and I found something uh, from the old uh, uh, Worldwide Church of God. This is from uh, Lesson 26 of the Feast of Love and Bread, our part in God's Master Plan, which is interesting because I'd read through it, but I didn't remember seeing this part. Anyway, it says, A warning not to look back. Did Christ foretell that modern society in our end-time generation would be much like the wicked city of Sodom? Uh, Luke 17, 28 to 30. And we're seeing that today with the rise of uh, 
uh, sexual morality being accepted by governments around the world. This stuff was prophesied. Uh, was this warning for Christians living in time? Yes, uh, seven, Luke 17.31. Anyway, here's our comment. Christ was referring to the destruction of sinful Sodom and Gomorrah, the escape of Lot and his two daughters from Sodom, and Lot's wife being turned to a pillar of salt. Tradition said these events happened during the season of the Feast of Unleavened Bread. Although this was several centuries uh, before uh, the Bible says it's commanded. It's interesting to note that unleavened bread is mentioned in connection with the departure of Lot and his daughters from that sinful society in Genesis 19.3. God had determined to destroy those two exceedingly sinful cities, which, like Egypt, are symbols of sin, Revelation 11.8. He sent two angels to warn Lot and his family to leave the city. Now, I'm going to go to Jude, just read one verse, Jude, verse 7. Because what happened to Sodom is an example. Sodom and Gomorrah, verse 7, Jude. As Sodom and Gomorrah and the cities around them in a similar manner to these, having given themselves over to sexual immorality and, have, and gone after strange flesh, are set forth an example, suffering the vengeance of eternal fire. That many in modern society think uh, this kind of stuff is good. Now, in Second Peter two six, you don't have to go there. Peter wrote, "The cities of Sodom and Gomorrah were turned into ashes, condemned to destruction, making them an example to those who afterward would live ungodly." And we're seeing more and more of this happening now. So, what's happening to Sodom and Gomorrah is supposed to be an example for the end times, and more and more people don't want to hear about any of that kind of stuff. Uh, let me go ahead and read Jesus' words in uh, Luke 17. So why don't we go there, starting verse 28. Jesus said, Likewise, as it was in the days of Lot, they ate, they drank, they, brought, they bought, and they sold, they planted, they built, but on the day that Lot went out of Sodom, it rained fire and brimstone from heaven and destroyed them all. Even so it will be the day the Son of Man is revealed. In that day he was on a housetop and his goods in his house. So let him not come down to take them. Whoever's in the field, let him not turn back. So it be a time to flee. Now I mentioned uh, Abraham a couple of times. Now let's go to Genesis 12. Because this is something I think a lot of people, pretty modern people, don't quite grasp. Starting in verse 1, Genesis 12. It says, Now the Lord said to Abram, Get out of your country, from your family, and from your father's house. He's got to leave his friends and relatives. To the land which I show you, I'll make you a great nation, I'll bless you, make your name great. You shall be a blessing. I'll bless those who bless you, and curse those who curse you, and in you the families of the earth shall be blessed. So Abraham, or Abram, Departed as the Lord spoke to him, and Lot went with him. Abram was 75 years old when he departed from Haran. Then Abram took Sarai, his wife, and Lot, his brother's son, and all their possessions that they had gathered, and the people whom they had acquired in Haran, and they departed to go to the land of Canaan. So they came to the land of Canaan. Now this is different than what the children of Israel did. They left slavery and poverty. But Abraham left wealth and family, and civilization. Uh, 
Uh, now related to some of this, in the last first day of unleavened bread sermon that uh, Herbert W. Armstrong gave, because he was dead by the next one, this was in 20, excuse me, this was in 1985, he said, uh, the days of unleavened bread mark time of coming out of sin. In a sense, we're only starting out of sin all over again. We do it every year. So I wonder if we really f realize and fully comprehend the real meaning of this festival. I first learned back in the very early year in 1927, we should keep Passover, we should keep the seven special Sabbath days, the annual Sabbath, the holy days. At the time, I didn't know why. Do you know, I had to think of Abraham. When God called him out of Babylon, you know, he was calling him out of this world. He was called out of this world. When God called him, his name was originally pronounced Abram until God changed his name to Abraham. God called him out to leave the gaiety in a bright light to the civilization where he was. And Abram didn't quibble. He didn't say, well, do I have to do it? Or, well, can I go later? Or can I go somewhere else? Or why? Isn't it just as well here? It just says in two words, Abram went. That's all. He didn't question. And I think that came to mind when I saw that we should keep these annual holy days. Now, as far as Abraham in the New Testament, let's go to uh, Hebrews chapter 11. Hebrews chapter 11, we read, By faith, starting verse 8, By faith Abraham obeyed when he was called to go out of the place where he'd receive his inheritance. He went out not knowing where he's going. By faith he dwelt in the land of promise in a foreign country, dwelling in tents with Isaac and Jacob. The heirs with him are the same promise, for he waited for the city which has foundations, whose builder and maker is God. But Abraham was the only one who believed God. If you go back up a few verses, let's start in verse 4 of Hebrews chapter 11. See, by faith, Abel offered to God a more excellent uh, sacrifice. Verse 5, by faith, Enoch was uh, taken away so he didn't see death. Verse 7, by faith Noah, being divinely warned of things not yet seen, moved with godly fear, prepared an ark for the saving of his household, by which he condemned the world and became heir of righteousness, which is according to faith. And by the way, there was a great cost to Noah and his family to build an ark. It was believed he was ridiculed, and he preached to people, but people didn't believe him, even though in 2 Peter 2.5 it says Noah was a preacher of righteousness. Anyway, related to Abel and Noah and Enoch and Sarah's, Abraham's wife, in Hebrews 11, verse 13, it says, These all died in faith, not having received the promises, but having seen them afar off, were assured of them, embraced and confessed that they were strangers and pilgrims on earth. We know the kingdom of God isn't coming yet, but we know it's coming. Anyway, for those who say such things, declare plainly that they seek a homeland. And truly, if they had called to mind that country which they had come out of, they would have an opportunity to return. So they could go back to the old leaven. But now they desire a better, that is a heavenly country. Therefore, God is not ashamed to be there, called their God. He's prepared a city for them, the holy city of New Jerusalem, which will come down from heaven. Now, going to verse 24 of Hebrews 11. By faith Moses, when he became of age, refused to be called the son of Pharaoh, daughter, choosing rather to suffer affliction with the people of God than to enjoy the 
passing pleasure is a sin. So yes, sometimes we have to suffer as the people of God. Moses was esteeming the reproach of Christ greater than the riches of Egypt, for he looked for reward. Hopefully, you esteem the reproach of Christ being persecuted, being called names for being a true Christian, more than just getting along or being along in modern society. Verse 27 says, By faith he, Moses, forsook Egypt, not fearing the wrath of the king, for he endured as seeing him who is invisible. By faith he kept the Passover and the sprinkling of the blood, lest he who destroyed the firstborn should touch them. You know, Moses had it all. He had wealth and influence, which was probably the most powerful nation at the time. And he didn't say to go back to the old leaven of Egypt. Now continuing in Hebrews 11, verse 31, By faith Rahab the harlot didn't perish with those who didn't believe, when she received the spies of peace. Now she was certainly not considered a great one by those at Jericho. Don't think people have to be great to believe and have faith. Now anybody, God says, He doesn't call them many mighty or noble. Okay, First uh, Corinthians one, so lest we glory. So don't think, although these are just great people. No, we've got some of the lowest of the low. Uh, for example, Matthew who's a tax tax collector, he was considered one of the lowest of the low. He became one of the twelve apostles. Anyway, going back to verse uh, 32 now of uh, Hebrews 11, what shall we say? Time would fail me to tell of Gideon and Barak and Samson and Jephthah, David and Samuel and the prophets, who through faith subdued kingdoms, worked righteousness, obtained promises, stopped the mouth of lions, quenched the violence of fire, escaped the edge of the sword, out of weakness were made strong. Apostle Paul says, when I'm weak, then I'm strong. So if you think you're weak, understand. Submit to God to be strong. Anyway, some became valiant in battle, and turned to flight armies of aliens. Women received their dead, raised to life again. Others were tortured, now accepting deliverance, that they might obtain a, a better resurrection. And some of end-time Christians are going to be tortured as well. You can see that, for example, in Daniel chapter 11. Some had, others had trial of mockings and scourgings, yes, chains of imprisonment. They were stoned, sawn in two, attempted, slain with a sword. They wandered about in sheepskins and goatskins, being destitute, afflicted, tormented. Of whom the world was not worthy, they wandered in deserts, mountains, and caves, and dens of the earth. All these, having obtained a good testimony through faith, did not receive the promise God having provided something better for us that they should not be made perfect apart from them. By focusing on the goal, the, these men and women left the old leaven behind. They trudged past the new leaven that they would encounter. Instead of longing for sin, they first sought the kingdom of God and His righteousness. Now Christians, like ancient Israelites and modern practicing Jews, were to put leavening agents and leavened foods bread out of their houses. Now, it's not acceptable to remove leavening from your property if you're just going to bring it back once the days of leavened bread are over. The lesson is to remove leaven entirely from our lives, which represents promoting corruption. We're not supposed to temporarily avoid sin, and we're not to uh, return it back into our, right back into our lives. But let's go to First uh, Peter 2. Starting in verse 1, Peter wrote, 
Therefore, laying aside all malice, all deceit, hypocrisy, envy, and all evil speaking as newborn babes, desire the pure milk of the word that you may grow thereby, if indeed you've tasted that the Lord is gracious. Well, you don't grow spiritually by going back to malice, deceit, hypocrisy, etc., things associated with leaven. Now in 2 Peter, why don't we go to 2 Peter 2, we'll read something else the Apostle Peter wrote. 2 Peter 2, we'll start in verse 20. For if, after they had escaped the pollutions of the world through the knowledge of the Lord and Savior of Jesus Christ, they are again entangled in them and overcome, the latter end is worse for them than the beginning. For it would be better for them not to have known the way of righteousness than have known it and turned from the holy commandment uh, delivered to them. Verse 22. But it's happened to them according to the true proverb. A dog has referred to his own vomit, a sow having washed to her own wallowing in the mire. Now, the old leaven is like the old vomit. Putting it out doesn't putting that out doesn't mean you're not going to vomit again in the future. But we're not supposed to go back to the old leaven of our lives. Now I want to go something else from the old uh, uh, Worldwide Church of God. This is from uh, the Good News Magazine, 1980, December 1985. Jesus taught an important lesson. He says, No one puts a piece of a new garment to, into an old one, otherwise, it makes, the new one makes a tear when you wash it. And the piece that was taken out of the new doesn't match the old. He says, A seamstress understood this, understands this. New unshrunk material can't be used to patch old worn garments. When it shrinks, it tears the old cloth. It's worse than before. We're talking about natural fibers. It's not quite the same if you use synthetic stuff. Anyway, he says, Jesus' second analogy is not quite as easy for us to follow in the 20th century. Well, now it's the 21st. He says, and no one puts new wine into old wineskins, else the new wine will burst the wineskins and be spilled. The wineskins will be ruined. But the new wine must be put in new wineskins. In Jesus' time, uh, glass bottles were very rare, so wine was often transported in uh, uh, animal skins, basically usually from goats. This made them uh, strong and airtight and moisture-proof, but you had to be careful. The new wine hadn't finished fermenting; it would give off gas and it would expand the skins. And uh, the new a new wine skin had some give into it, so kind of a bit elasticy. So it would allow for expansion. But the old had lost its old skin, so they would burst. Anyway, the article says, Why tell people that? Jesus Christ's business was not to give a bunch of household hints. He was using a familiar situation to teach an aspect of Christian living. Withdrawal symptoms. When someone begins to understand teaching Bible, it's a totally new experience, unlike anything he or she has ever known. Like new wine or an unused piece of cloth, now, what most of us try to do is fit this new truth into our old way of life. It's only natural because it's hard to change and no one likes to admit they've been wrong. The old way of life is familiar and comfortable. We want to hang on to it as much as possible. Well, what about you? Perhaps you have fond memories of Easter sunrise services, having fun on Halloween, and uh, Christmas caroling in your old family church. The truth comes mashing into inherited religious ideas and pre conceived ideas of right and wrong. It challenges your comfortable beliefs and makes you question things you've always done. This new way, even if it's right, seems to be an unwelcome intruder. You've, sometimes you could find yourself resenting it. Jesus warned that this could happen. 
And no one having drunk the old wine immediately desires the new, for he says the old is better. It's not surprising that so many people, even though they acknowledge the truth, still prefer to cling to their old beliefs. Now, the rough thing about this, it wasn't too many years after this was written, that many of the people who were the old worldwide church of God fell away, went back to their old beliefs. If you begin to understand what it means to be a real Christian, realize it's going to take positive action on your part. Instead of keeping days we're not supposed to keep, the negative, we do the positive, keeping days we should. You can't have it both ways, observing this world's customs and still expecting blessing the world tomorrow. As Jesus said in uh, Luke 6, 46, I'm reading again from this article, Why do you call me Lord, Lord, and don't do the things that I say? Jesus expects total commitment. He demands we come out of the Babylon of confusion that characterizes so much religion today. So long as the excitement of learning new truth comes the responsibility of making some painful decisions. Don't compromise. God doesn't want to take from us anything that's good. His way of life is filled with exciting experiences that mean something and lead somewhere. Not empty, senseless, but often expensive rituals. And let me just interject here. It is not an expensive ritual to get rid of your leaven. You say, but oh, I had to throw away a couple of loaves of bread or whatever that you did to keep the days of leaven bread. First of all, if you've been in the church any length of time, you know that they, when the days of leaven bread are going to come. And by the way, we have a calendar in this uh, uh, free online booklet, again, available at ccog.org. So you know when they're going to come. You can plan, see how much leaven bread, how much leaven bread you have left. So it doesn't have to be uh, expensive. Anyway, the uh, last thing I want to read from this particular article uh, that was in the Good News magazine, December 85. As you take the plunge and follow God's way of life, you'll begin to miss the old wine less and less. You'll see it for what it is, a hollow counterfeit of the real thing. God is showing you the way of freedom from all that. Instead of looking back, back at the fraudulent ways of this world, you'll begin to anticipate the excitement of helping others learn the truth in the world tomorrow is one of your goals. One of your one of the things, one of your purposes that God's going to have for you is to teach and instruct. And some in this age will instruct many and be uh, persecuted for it, as it says in Daniel 11. But by living this way now, you'll understand this way now, now better now, and you can uh, teach better now. You know, sadly. As I mentioned before, most of the people in the old worldwide Church of God apparently longed for the old leaven. Many went back to Christmas, Easter, etc. Now that's consistent with the prophecy in Zechariah 13.8, about two-thirds fell away. Sadly, when offered the old leaven by apostatizing leaders, or apostate leaders, many went for it. Now what about new leaven after the days of leaven bread are over? Don't we get exposed to leaven again? Yes. But the use of new leaven essentially points to a new start, as well as helping us realize that we're still in the world. As Christians, we realize or understand that Peter was inspired to write in 2 Peter 3.18, and you don't have to go there, that we're to grow in grace and knowledge of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. Now we do this through Bible study, uh, uh, meditation, uh, sermons, 
church literature, etc., to help us, but also with new encounters. Now I want to go to Second uh, Peter chapter one. Second Peter one, starting in verse two. Grace and peace be multiplied to you in the knowledge of God and our Lord and Jesus our Lord, as His divine power has given to us all things that pertain to life and godliness. Get all that you need to have. Through the knowledge of Him who called us by glory and virtue, by which have been given to us exceedingly great and precious promises, which is why those who were not longing for the old leaven looked forward to them and died, whether they were persecuted or tortured, or had to give up wealth or whatever they had to give up, their family, that through these you may be partakers of the divine nature, having escaped the corruption that's in the world through lust. Verse 5. But also for this very reason, giving all diligence, add to your faith virtue, to virtue knowledge, to knowledge self-control. And we do practice a certain self-control, for example, during the day it's leavened bread. You don't eat products with leaven in them. To self-control, perseverance. To perseverance, godliness. To godliness, brotherly kindness. And brotherly kindness, love. But if these things are yours and abound, you shall be neither barren nor unfruitful in the knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ. So you're supposed to abound in brotherly kindness and love, etc. Self-control. For he who lacks these things is short-sighted, even to blindness, and has forgotten that he was cleansed from his old sins. Therefore, brethren, be even more diligent to make your call and election sure. For if you do these things, you will never stumble. For so an entrance will be supplied to you abundantly into the everlasting kingdom of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. We have more information on the gospel of the kingdom of God in our uh, free booklet, The Gospel of the Kingdom of God. Now this one not only is available at the ccog.org website, or the literature tab, but if you stay on that page, the ccog.org website page, homepage, keep going down, you'll see uh, over 100 languages are listed that this book is also in, in case uh, you're more comfortable with other languages or other, some you know are more comfortable with other languages than English. Anyway, we're supposed to be diligent, we're supposed to be faithful. Essentially, encountering new leaven should remind us of the new challenges that we face and that sin is in the world, and that we can be affected by it. But also, hopefully, we've grown, and we're not going to be repeating and going back to the old sins, represented by the old leaven that was removed. Now, even if the old leaven is similar to, or reminds us of the old leaven, we're not supposed to long for the old leaven, but face one day at a time. Let's go to... Uh, Matthew chapter 6, as far as uh, taking problems one day at a time. Something Jesus taught here. Sometimes people say, I just can't take it anymore. I've had this problem so long, etc. Jesus said, verse 31, Therefore do not worry, saying, What shall we eat? What shall we drink? Or what shall we wear? As far as the eating and the drinking, we went through passages from the children of Israel who had all kinds of problems. What are we going to eat? What are we going to drink? 
There's no water, there's, there's no food, or they got tired of the food that they had. Anyway, Jesus says, verse 32, For all these things the Gentiles seek, but your Heavenly Father knows that you need all these things. You know, God made us. He knows that we need to eat and drink, etc. Jesus said, But seek first the kingdom of God and His righteousness, and all these things will be added to you. Don't say, Okay, I don't want to keep the seven days of bread because I just don't think it's necessary. Um, besides, I like to eat leaven, and I can't go a week without it, which seems strange. Personally, I've always enjoyed the seven days of bread. My wife tends to do more baking during those days than other, so I probably eat a bit more than I should during those sometimes. But anyway, verse 34 is the verse I want to really focus on. Therefore, do not worry about tomorrow, for tomorrow will worry about its own things. Sufficient for the day is its own trouble. Take it one day at a time. But the children of Israel did worry about what they'd eat and drink, and they wanted the old leaven, the old Egypt of bondage. And don't think that humans today don't have similar longings. Don't think, oh, well, that was thousands of years ago. We're just so much better now. Anyway, don't go back to your old leaven. Don't long for the Babylonian Egyptian world that you uh, may have come out of, but we still live among. Don't long for the old leaven. If you do run into actual leaven, let it remind you that sin is still spread throughout this world. So don't be deceived. So when you run into new or similar to old spiritual leaven, don't give up. Let's go to 1 Corinthians chapter 10. The Apostle Paul wrote, we should just give up. No, that's not what he wrote. So no temptation, so any new leaven you're going to run into, no temptation has overtaken you except such as common to man. But God is faithful, who will not allow you to be tempted beyond which you are able. But with the temptation will make a way of escape that you may be able to bear it. Yes, you can make it. But as Jesus indicated, you may simply have to take your issues uh, one day at a time in faith. So anyway, grow in grace and knowledge even as we face uh, a spiritual leaven throughout the year. Don't yearn for the old leaven to sin, the Egyptian Babylonian bondage. Don't get entrapped by the new leaven you may encounter. Grow in grace. Put out the old leaven. Live according to the way God wants you to live. The unrighteous, excuse me, the unleavened bread of righteousness and truth. This is Dr. Bob Teal for the Continuing Church of God.